This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you everyone for joining. Thank uh, Torah Anytime for, for providing this link and providing us the opportunity to, to reach out to so many different people besides, besides just uh, LAJ. Um, and we'll uh, hopefully start with Rabbi Wallerstein, who's uh, one of the most um, great individuals that, that I know in, in the world as far as his involvement in the Jewish people, his caring for the Jewish people, um, and such a unique individual. Uh, Wallerstein, as everyone knows, a very special uh, program for, for girls at, at, at risk uh, called Ornava, and really caring and taking care of these girls for, for so many years now, it's known throughout the world um, and really is a model for, for other, other programs out there that, uh, that are really there showing the greatness of the Jewish people that no matter where, where a person is in life, doesn't matter where you can go, um, we're, we're here to help every, every aspect of society, every, every corner. Is, there's no one that, that's left behind. And uh, and that's, that's definitely what uh, Rabbi Wallerstein does in every moment, finding a place where we can um, find the location, find the place where we can create an environment, a caring environment for people that are going through difficulties, people that are, that are uh, facing challenges in life. And at times going in, in, in a normal situation would have been left at, on the wayside. Uh, and Rabbi Wallerstein cares for them, picks them up, takes care of them. And uh, little secrets that, uh, that, that we got to meet him when uh, we had a dinner a few years ago. Um, and it's understanding that it really he started this program on his own without almost any uh, financial support from anyone else and putting in his own not only time and efforts, but his, also his finances, which is amazing. And without further ado, who's, who's, uh, who's close friend with the Majeskis and knows very Majeski very well and the entire Majeski family. Um, Rabbi Wallerstein, who, who is with us now, please. Uh, I'm going to pass on the mic to Rabbi Wallerstein. Thank you very much. Okay, he's he's uh, he's coming on one second. We're just giving him the uh, the right information to to come on. So he's coming on. We appreciate uh, everyone again coming on and this uh, this Zoom Zoom opportunity. I guess we can see that you know to put such a such an event together in such short notice and to have such speakers come on all at once. Um, it, it's amazing that we're able to do it. Again, we're going to have Rabbi Wallerstein on right now. He's coming on. Um, we'll just pass it over to him. Yeah, his, uh, I've been given notice that Rabbi Wallerstein's wife 
the the technician is coming on right now and helping him. So we're doing it. <laughs> Not everyone is an expert in Zoom. We uh, this this, but by the end of this Corona business, we'll all be experts. Hopefully, here we go. Shout out to all the all the friendly faces, by the way, that I'm seeing pop on. Good to see you guys. Very SDY. Yep. Okay. Without further ado, um, we're going to get. Shalom Aleichem. You hear me? Yeah. Do you hear me? All right. We hear you. Yep. Excellent. Hello, everybody in California. How's everyone doing? Nice. Is it, is it warm over there? Here it's freezing in New York. <laughs> Everybody's good? Oh, they're all muted? Oh, I'm the only speaker. I like it. Okay. Anyway, Shalom Aleichem. Welcome, everyone. My name is Zachariah Wallstein here in New York and in Brooklyn. And um, I'm sorry that I'm a little late. I'm not so good with technology. As you see, normally I have a very old flip phone. So not so good on computers, definitely not so good on Zoom. But anyway, Baruch Hashem, we're here. And I would like to talk a little bit about the situation that's going on in the world and how we're supposed to be handling it. So I just got off speaking um, in Passaic, actually. And... I was talking about that. There was a great rabbi, his name was Rabbi Shimshim Pincus, and he said that, that really, even though the human being feels very special, that we have what's called in Hebrew, Bechira, which means choice, really we don't. The major things in life, we don't have choice. For instance, at least until this generation, boy or girl, that you're born a boy or a girl, it's not your choice. That's a big one. That you're born a Jew or not a Jew is not your choice unless you're a convert. But otherwise, you're born a Jew, and once you're born a Jew, you can eat wafers, sprinkle water in your head, put red dots in your head, do whatever you want. You can't change that you're a Jew. So, so you're born a Jew, you're born a girl or a boy, not your choice. Um, here's a big one, everyone. Who your parents are. Not your choice. Who your siblings are. Not your choice. Born in California, born in New York. Not your choice. Born in South Dakota, born in Israel. Not your choice. Born into a Hasidic family, total family that knows nothing. Uh, modern Orthodox family. Not your choice. 
what school you go to, at least till college, not your choice. So who are you going to marry? The Talmud says that 40 days before you come to the world, they announce in heaven, who are you going to marry? It would be amazing if I could get up there. No, I don't want to get up there, but if I could listen in on it um, for matchmaking, I would know everyone beforehand, be a great business. But 40 days before you come to the world, they announce who you're going to marry. So how much money are you going to make this year? On Rosh Hashanah, they write in a book, how much money are you going to make? Live or die? If you're going to live or die, pretty much it's not your choice. It's written in heaven. That's a big one. Um, if you're going to have children, you've got to do the best, of course, to, to do everything that you can for anything that you can. But at the end of the day, the key to children is God's. The key to Panasa is God's. He has all these different keys. So this great rabbi said, so then what is your choice? What are we doing here? If we don't have choice, just to decide if you want vanilla or strawberry on your ice cream or extra cheese on your, on your pizza. So, so what are we doing here? Might as well be an apple tree if I don't have choice. So he said something amazing. Rabbi said, uh, the only choice you have in life is what do you do with the things you have no choice? Step in or step out. That I'm a girl or a guy, that I'm a Jew, that I'm not a Jew, that those are my parents and those are my siblings, that this is where I live, that this is who I'm married to, all the other things that happen in my life. I don't have a choice. But God gives me a choice what to do with those things. Get depressed, get anxious, hurt myself, use it to help others. That's my choice. My grandparents went through the Holocaust. It wasn't their choice. And all the people who went through the Holocaust, all six million that died, and all those that survived, they didn't choose to be in a Holocaust. But whether you stepped out when you left the Holocaust and didn't see God and watched your family die and suffer and said, I don't want to have anything to do with this God. If he's even there, I don't believe in him. And I don't want anything to do with any Judaism and I'm out. That was their choice. They were victims of the Holocaust and they were survivors of the Holocaust. And no one on this earth has a right to judge the ones that stepped out. Because no one could pass that test. Right now, because of the virus, we have lost many good Jews. Many Jews. Every Jew's good. And people are having a very hard time calling me for chizuk, for strength. Very hard time. They're not having a hard time that they're locked in their house. They're having a hard time. The Jewish, good Jewish people, and I know a lot of good people, in fact, tonight... Um, this whole speech tonight is for a very special man. Kevin Majewski's father was a superstar. Was the sweetest, happiest, nicest person in the world. And many people are suffering with trying to understand 
Tzadik Viralo, the righteous who suffer, and the evil that party. And Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest one, Moses, asked the question of God, why do good people suffer? And God said, that's not something I can answer because I would have to show you from the creation of the world to the end of the world. And I'm not willing to pull the world apart. So there are a lot of people that are suffering right now and not understanding why my grandfather, my grandmother, and the Holocaust survivors, they're all dying. What, what's going on over here? And they have all these questions. How many people died? Too many. 5,000 Jews? In America, 60,000 people? And we're freaking out. We're freaking out. There are actually depression and anxiety and drugs. And, and just to show what America is, that, that liquor stores is, is, a, is a necessity. So they have to stay open. Libraries are not a necessity. Banks, my banks here in Brooklyn, they're closed. Not a necessity, no. All this stuff not a necessity. Liquor stores are a necessity. Because that's how you deal with, with, with pain. With, with that. So they left them all open. <laughs> they left them all open. So, so 60,000 people, and believe me, every person is a world. If anything, the Rebbe Walsh, anyone knows anything about me, every person is a whole world. One of the things I heard as a young, as a young kid growing up, when I, when I got, went into the field of, of helping people and, and dealing with people who are addicted to many different things, um, I realized that, that I can't save the world. It's impossible. There's so much pain and abuse and and girls were cutting and anorexia and suicide and, and depression and anxiety. And, and I, I could, I, so I was like, what am I doing? Like, what, who, how many people can I save already? And then I, someone told me that famous story about this old man at the sea and, and there were a bunch of starfish on the sand and uh, there was a, a low tide and they were all dying on the sand. And uh, this old man picked up the starfish, one of them to throw him into the water. And this kid said, you old man, you fool. You can't save all of them. What are you wasting your time with that starfish? And he tossed it into the water and he turned to the kid and he said, that starfish's world, I just saved. You're right, I can't save them all. But that one, his world, I saved. And therefore every single person is a world. You don't have to save the whole world. You have to save one person at a time. So 60,000 people and we're freaking out. And where's God? And I don't understand why good people are dying. Six million! Not 60,000. Six million died. And people are freaking out because my uncle and my father, they went to the hospital and nobody, it's crazy, nobody can visit them. They take them in and it's like, goodbye. You'll never hear from them again. And they're dying alone, which they're not, but it's not for tonight. The Hashem takes the soul and with the angels and no one's dying alone. There are people who live alone, but no one dies alone. If you did mitzvahs, you did good deeds in your life and you, did, and you helped people and you did the right thing, you don't die alone. God, God, God takes you into his hands. He never leaves you alone. In this world, people feel alone. In the next world, no one's alone. Nobody's alone. Everybody has company. So, six million? People with nine kids getting shot in front of them? 
Auschwitz? Crematorians? If we're going crazy for 60,000, you cannot judge the people who stepped out to 6 million. So they went through hell already. They went through Gehenna. They're going straight to Gehenna. They did their time. But, but, my grandparents, and many of you who are watching, grandparents, came to America and said, if I don't continue the Jewish tradition, there's no one left. They just wiped out Europe. So the whole building of L.A. and Brooklyn and New York and America and Israel was built by survivors, not by victims, by survivors. So what Rav, Rav Shimshin Pinkus was saying is that we don't have a choice in most of the stuff in our lives, but the choice that we do have is what to do with that pain. I have to tell you, well, it's, I'm not speaking to you for an hour tonight. I'm only speaking to you for 20 minutes. That I'm sitting at home. I'm that age group above 60, and I tested for antibodies, and I don't have any. I'm just not an anti-guy. I'm a pro-guy, so I got no antis in me, which I tell you. So I can't leave the house. I'm, I'm homebound. And I'm doing a lot of introspection. I'm, I'm growing because I'm usually very busy, and now I'm not busy, so I'm busy with myself. There's a mitzvah, the Torah, a commandment. You should love every, every person like yourself. So the first thing is you have to love yourself. If I hate myself, then the Torah is telling me i got to hate all of you. If I have to love you the way I love myself, I don't like myself. So all of us, what we're supposed to be doing with this time is not get depressed and anxious, but spend some time and grow. Look at all the good attributes, right? I'm down like, I'm just, I, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. So I'm going to do more of this when I get out, when I'm able to go out. And there's a good thing about, there's a good thing about knowing your bad stuff. I'm very into knowing my bad stuff. And like therapists are like, no, you need to get depressed. It's not good. I'm like, no, if you fall into a hole and you know you fall into the hole, you're not going to fall into the hole again. But if you don't know you fall into the hole, you're going to keep falling into that hole. So, so when you do something wrong and you look at it, so the good part about it is the, is the antibody. Is that I did something wrong. I got the person who got sick now, he got sick. He had temperature. He was, he was in a lot of pain. It's very hard to be sick for two weeks. But now he has a much bigger chance of not getting sick again because he has the antibodies. It's the spiritual world, physical world works the same way. So if I'm home and I'm looking at my bad stuff, my bad side, I'm jealous, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't give people a chance to talk, I'm, 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 I'm pushing people around, I have a, I have a temper. So you're not, don't get depressed about it. Say, okay, so now I need to work on that. And once I work on that and I conquer that, wow, I'm in so much of a better place. There's nothing wrong with, with introspection, with, with sitting and 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 looking at yourself. So I just want to tell you that I'm very into Kirov and I help kids and Rabbi Jessica knows what I do, whatever it is, but I'm not into visiting the sick, Bikacholo. I don't go to hospitals and visit kids or sick people. I don't go to nursing homes. That's for girls. You know, that's for girls, not for me. I realized the pain. I have, I have a niece that's a nurse in one of these hospitals where there's a lot of sick people. And she like sneaks into the room with her phone and she like Skypes the patient to the family for a minute before she gets caught because she's not really supposed to be in and doing that. And the family cannot thank her enough. Oh my God, we saw her, she's breathing. I 
you don't realize when you're in a hospital, you're so alone. And if you go visit these people and you, you, you bring them in Danish and you sit down and tell them a story, uh, if you're a clown, you make jokes or whatever, whatever it is, like, wow, you give them, and in nursing homes, all these people that died in nursing homes, and it, there's so many people, 90 years old, they have no one, nobody visits them. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't do this stuff. So you know what? I said to my wife that what I have learned from sitting at home in this terrible virus is that I need to go pick a home. So the minute I'm allowed to go out, this whole thing passes, we're going to go one night a week. And, and, and a lot of kids know me from my stories. We're going to go visit sick kids. All right, Wallace going to, going to, I have a book that I'm coming out now on honoring a parent. I'm going to sign a book and we're going to do a whole big thing. And I never realized that that's important. So do I have a choice that I'm home? No. Did I choose this virus? No. Just like everything else in life. But step in, be a new person when I come out of this virus. Learn how to control certain things that I wasn't controlling. Learn about what's special in life and what's important in life. Yes, that's my choice. Or just come out of this. I was in a liquor store every day and I bought liquor and I smoked up. And that's how I got through it. So you became an addict. Great. You stepped out. That's our choice. And Rabbi Majeski, your man over there, he is like, he is like the example. Like he decided, whatever his life is or was or isn't, he decided his choice is to help others, make others laugh, make others happy. And that came from his father and mother. And I heard how he spoke about his father. And I knew his father. I happened to have known his father. And that was his father wasn't rich, as he'll tell you, and he didn't have an easy life, which he'll tell you, but he stepped up and he stepped in. He didn't step out. And that's the choice we all have, and I hope you all make the right choice, and you step up and you step in, and this will pass, but the question is, what will you take with you? That's up to you. That's not up to God. That's not up to anyone else. That's up to you. Be nice to your kids. nice to your wife. Be less selfish. Be less selfish. Become selfless. Help others. It's not all about you. Maybe that's something we can learn. You should all have, you should all stay healthy. You should be blessed. God should be with you. And only good things. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Augustine, for, for joining us tonight. Amazing to that's see you. Eleven twenty-one for me. You know that's unusual. I can, I'm usually way over. Tell Rabbi Majeski. Tell Rabbi Majeski. One of the things I took on being locked up at home is to be on time. He'll understand what that means. Yeah. That, that was on time, Rabbi Wallerstein. Eleven twenty-one. Twenty minutes. But you could have. Sp- you could have. You could have spoke about me a little more. Whatever. Ah, uh, come on. You want to get a bigger? You want to get a bigger stump? I mean, bigger head. Come on. You're good. He's the man, everybody. He is the man. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Be much, Leah. Should be an aliyah for the neshama. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Austin. Good night. Um, our, next, our next speaker is someone that uh, doesn't need an introduction. I mean, really, none of the speakers tonight need an introduction, uh, especially not for me. But... 
Um, if, if you can say one name or two names from Brooklyn that I think everyone knows about um, and then knows about throughout the entire world, I think number one and two, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, race going on. One, one would be uh, Raman Majeski, and number two, I think probably taking, uh, taking going ahead of Raman Majeski is Rabbi Ari Ben Shushan. Um, he's now in LA. He's from Brooklyn. We were together okay. in Israel. He was very close. Uh, we were all very close in, in the Kolo together with uh, when Rabbi Majeski was there. Uh, ben Shushan, I can tell you one thing that would happen the two of them together, it was just constant laughs. I mean, everyone knew in the, uh, and where we were learning, where we were studying, it was, you know, it was serious when we were doing it. But as soon as any opportunity to let go, there was constant laughter. And it usually either came from uh, Rabbi Majeski at certain times. And then most of the time it was coming from Rabbi Ari Ben Shushan. And besides the, the, abundance of happiness that he spreads. Uh, he spread to students when he was in Israel and then with his organization, Chazak, uh, spreading light of Torah, but just the abundance of happiness, joy, uh, wisdom of Torah, one of the most deep speakers and someone that is inspiring now. And we're, we're so fortunate to have him in Los Angeles, again, with, with his organization, Chazak, who's doing so much here in, in the community. And uh, even, again, even during Corona, uh, consistently, I think you see on tour anytime, I think he's speaking almost every night to different groups and different people, uh, whether it be uh, uh, teenage girls or whether it be young professionals or it be mothers or whether it be fathers. Um, he's, he's able to connect and really give deep, powerful messages with, okay. such, a, with such a warmth. And uh, we appreciate him coming on, and they're here in my queue with the with the, with the burly okay. But without further ado, Rabbi Ari Ben Shushan, please. Okay, hey, everybody out there, how are we all doing? Lekavod, Rabbi Alex Landa, who's the greatest yid. He's just the greatest yid. Everybody out in LAJ knows that. Everybody knows that uh, Rabbi Alex Landa is selfless. That the land of family, he, his wife, his kids, they belong to you because they gave themselves over to you. And Rabbi Majeski, whether you want him or not, belongs to you too. <laughs> because he and his wonderful family, his rabbits and his kids, they've given themselves over. And so tonight, um, I, I, I actually, I have a class that started, uh, I was supposed to start uh, 10 minutes ago and I pushed them off to 8.30 for tonight. I just pushed them off again because there are certain moments that we take. Um, obviously, Rabbi Majeski being a very, very dear friend of mine, Rabbi Landa being a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, but there are moments that we take to honestly pause for a minute and to really appreciate, to slow down and give a look. So I jumped on the Zoom um, shiva call to Rabbi Majeski last week. And like everybody paying a shiva call, I was only planning to sit in on it for a few minutes. And the stories that I heard about Rabbi Majeski's father, I can't say that I was surprised. But at the same time, you want to hear what they are. As 
least surprising as possible because it, it, it has to make sense. It has to be that the whole Majeski family, it has to be that they came from an incredible place. It has to be that obviously greatness is what echoed in their ears and it's what flows through their veins. It has to be. But you don't want to just have this objective greatness. You want to then go and really hear it. So what is that greatness? Please, I'm dying to know. And so they get into the stories and one after the other after the other. And to tell you the truth, I, you know, the time just started to pass and I didn't want to go. I, I just sat and I listened and I laughed and I was inspired. So number one, to say about Rabbi Majeski's father, we say in Shimon Asrei, in the second blessing in the Amidah in Shimon Asrei, but we say that God is Rav Lahoshia. God is Rav, abundant Lahoshia in saving. What does that mean that God is abundant in saving? What is that abundance? So interestingly enough, this is brought in the second blessing. The blessing which talks about the judgment. It talks about the time when People will be judged to live eternally with God, the Triyat HaMetim, the resurrection of the dead. And at that point, you only have what you have. You only have what you've earned. What the Ramchal tells us in Mesilat Yisharim is you have what you've earned in this life. You can only pick up. You live in an awesome existence, but within it, you're meant like Super Mario to go into ding, 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 so to pick up all of those coins along the way, all of those positive deeds along the way so that you're earning because after 120 years, you're done. But says the Vilna Gaon, Rav Lahoshia, God is abundant in his saving because there's actually a way that you earn dividends even after one has left this world. And he says, if you've affected other people, if you've had what to do with others and you've done something to change their life for the better, and now in their life it's been enriched because you've done something to make them greater, and now their children and their grandchildren, for all of eternity, they've gone on a better path, a more positive path, because of what echoed from your deed. So then you get paid those dividends even after you've left this world. So I imagine from what all the Majeski children are doing, the big slot machine in the sky, just as the jackpot gets higher and higher, sitting there with Rabbi Majeski's dear father, from all of those that he has affected, and then in terms for all of those that his children have affected, Rav Lahoshia, that abundance. It's incredible. Thank God that God himself is infinite so that he can count the numerous deeds that will still be counted for Rabbi Majeski's father for course themselves are infinite. Incredible. So I want to talk about a life well-lived. I want to talk about the fact that 
after a person turns and looks over his shoulder at decades of existence, what is it that's going to make you exhale, put a smile on your face, and say to yourself, Baruch Hashem, I've led a good life. Because I believe that Rabbi Majeski certainly had that. He certainly was able to look at that. And in the end of it, we all want to know how. We all want to, we want to tap into that secret. We don't know how much time we have, but we want to know that we can turn and say that each of those moments and each of those days, I've lived them. I didn't just exist them. You know, you see Rabbi Majeski walk down the street. Whenever you see him, you get one of these on your face. It just makes you smile. <laughs> no matter what kind of mood you're in. <laughs> just, I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking every single time. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people who on site, on site, they make me a better person. <laughs> that I just see him and I just blurt out laughing because he comes up and he tries to give me a serious face every time. But I just know that it's, it's, he's going to make me laugh. He, he, he's going to make me feel good in the moment. What did Rabbi Majeski's father do in order to instill that simchat hachayim, in order to instill that joy of life. Because if you have that, I'm telling you, you're living every moment. So I heard, I heard that Rabbi Majeski, I did not know him. I, I met him once or twice, but I did not know him. But I heard that Rabbi Majeski's father had, or, or maybe one of the biggest, uh, Rabbi Majeski said the biggest uh, Svarim library, library of Jewish books, in Brooklyn, that's a very tall statement because there are many people who have very large libraries in their houses, Baruch Hashem. But even if he's up there with it, that means you have a man who lived Torah learning. But wait, I'm not going there. I'm not just saying go learn Torah all day. It's not where I'm going with this. This is a man who spent so much time in Beis HaTalmud in Benzenhurst, going there and learning and learning and learning. But he was a businessman. He was a businessman. He, he did not spend his whole day in the Bet Midrash. He also had work. He spent many hours each day in the learning. And it's because there's a Rambam. Maimonides in his work wrote all the way at the end, tucked away at the end of Hilchot Shemitah, a very famous piece of Rambam. And it goes like this. Why wasn't Shevet Levi given a part in Israel? If you give a look at the past weeks that we've had, it speaks about all of the different rules concerning the priests, the Kohanim. And one of them is, is that the Kohanim, the priests of God, or the Levim, they do not get a place of their own in Israel. And the reason why is because the Torah tells us, God says, because ki Hashem nachlato, 
because God is his place. God is his everything. And the Rambam writes, Eleheim chayil Hashem, shenemar barech Hashem chelo, v'hu baruchu zochel lahem, shenemar ani chalkecha v'nachlatcha. I am your chalak, I am your peace. Now, that's good for the Levi. But says the Rambam, a very famous line, v'lo shevet Levi bovad, it's not just for the Levi, ela kol ish v'ish mikol baye olam, anybody from all the walks of the world, ashein dava rucho oto vavinu madua, lavdil amod lefne Hashem l'shayato l'ovdo l'deyat Hashem, alech yashar k'mosh asor l'kimu parak, melta varo ol hachashbonot arabim, asher pikshu b'nei adem, heim zenit kadesh kodesh kadashim. Anybody who wants to be a lazy, anybody who wants to go and say, God, you're my nachala, you are my inheritance, you are my everything. And so therefore, I'm not going to take the path like everybody else. I'm not going to follow blindly like the rest of the world does. Rather, I'm going to forge my own path. I'm going to take a place in which it makes sense to connect to the infinite because I know I'm living on finite time. And so why wouldn't I translate every moment of my finite existence to flip it into an infinite gain? Why wouldn't I? Isn't it ridiculous to run and to follow after everything that's small in this world when I can be chasing greatness? Why would I ever settle for such a small, human, almost insignificant thought process that so many people follow, so many people lust after, and so many people fail themselves after? But not Rabbi Majeski's father. A man who worked to make just enough money, and then to infuse his family with godliness. That every moment, every moment is godliness. There's no reason to fear anything but your own immortality. Make sure that is the main focus. Be a lazy. Stand up and live, live your life to the fullest and then give it to others and then share that passion. And the father, I mean, he imbued this. And we see that Rabbi Majeski is a walking, talking lady. We see Rabbi Landa as well. He's given everything. There's not, there's nothing. There's nothing that isn't given. There's nothing that they won't share. There's nothing that they won't take and then hand to you with both hands saying, if this will bring you closer to God's glory, to your infinite value system, I'll hold back nothing. Because let me show you what it means to be a lazy. And they chose the most difficult of places. They moved to a place where literally Los Angeles has made itself the kingdom of running after materialism. And it takes somebody who I feel is a king of throwing all of that materialism away because he was imbued this by his great father to share with us his joy. I think everybody here who's ever eaten by Rami Majeski's house on Friday night, you couldn't close your belt afterwards. 
because you were too full. But not just because of the incredible food. It's because when you walked out of that house, you said to yourself, I want that. How do I get that? How do I bottle that? How do I become that? Rabotai was celebrating a life well lived because if Rabbi Majeski is only an echo of his father, then I can only imagine the roar that they must have heard in Shamayim when they announced one of the great Sadiqim, one of the Levim, are coming to join us. Let's all really take some time now, like Rabbi Wallerstein said, and think to ourselves, how can I live? How can I live? How can I bottle that awesomeness for myself? It should be that Rabbi Majeski's father is a Meilitz Yosher on all of Klai Yisrael. That's Rabbi Majeski. To all of your family over here that I see, there's uh, Knahara, 300 people on this thing, and 150 of them are all Majeskis. So, Baruch Hashem, the more the merrier. <laughs> and that we should all go, La'elu, La'ela, for all of us to decide to be part of Shevet Levi and to join Mashiach in dancing in our infinite reward. Amen Amen. Have a great night, everybody. Amen. Thank you, Ari. I got to go. Take yeah, care. Thank you, Ari. Great to see you. Appreciate uh, those inspiring words. And sorry for making your other class late, but uh, it was amazing. Those uh, beautiful words. We should, uh, we should only share in happy occasions, all of us together. Um, our next speaker is on, on, is amazing, world-renowned speaker that's that's able to uh, delight audiences with his with his amazing humor, his uh, amazing charisma, and someone that that is known throughout the Jewish circuit, both in the observant world, non-observant world, in every world you you could find, and he's known only as Rav Gav. Uh, unfortunately, he's not able to join us live, so he, he was. It's a little bit early in Israel, so he was able to send us this uh, message. And here we go.
Okay, good evening all. I want to thank all y'all for coming out tonight in the special uh, comfort of your own home for a night of chizik, a night of inspiration. Hopefully we'll all be able to glean something from either my talk or from Rabbi Majeski or from a Wallerstein. When I was contacted by Rabbi Alex and or his wife, not sure who was emailing me, about maybe being part of this event. How could I say no? I, Rabbi Majeski, Rabbi Yisrael Majeski is such a dear, special friend of mine. And I look at it as a schus, as a merit for me to be able, as an opportunity, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to be part of this evening. So this talk is going to be Le'iloi Nishmas, for an elevation of the soul of Ephraim Dov Bear. Ben Yaakov Yehuda. I should say Harav Ephraim Dovber Ben Yaakov Yehuda. After what I heard about him, he was an unbelievable man, an amazing person. And you hear that a lot when somebody passes away. Even though you maybe hear that a lot when somebody passes away. Then you speak to people and you start to say, hey, maybe it sounds like it's actually true. And anyway, in any event, I'd like to uh, just start off with a little story. So there was a lottery that was done. And it was a little contest that you basically just fill in your, your name, your address, where you live. And uh, that's all you had to do in order to join this lottery. What were they auctioning off? Auctioning off a brand new, I don't know, you got, you got to figure out whatever, you, fill in the blank. I mean, you're in L.A., so I have to go fancy for those who are in L.A. Lamborghini Diablo. Gorgeous. Spend spanking new car. Six-speed. Some have seven-speed. This is a six-speed. I didn't check that before, so I don't know if that's true, but fast car. And anyone could join this contest, and somebody did. There was a man named, who was living in a town in Africa called, and he won this contest. How he got included in this contest, I don't know. How to, I don't know, but he gets included in the contest. This guy lives in, in the far outreaches of Africa. In a village where they don't even have electricity or running water, let alone gorgeous cars. But okay, they find that this guy wins, so they bring the car and they got to ship it over to uh, this little town, which I forgot how to pronounce it already, in Africa. When they get there, they get there. They deliver this car, they bring it to the guy, and they're like, we're looking for whatever his name is. Maybe he could, uh, you know, someone could show us the direction. All right, they don't really speak the language. They'll finally figure out who he's looking for. And uh, great, they find the guy. And they say, okay, here's your car. Here's your, your brand new car. You won this car. And the guy doesn't even know what they're talking about. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he doesn't know what a car is. He doesn't know what he won. He doesn't know what, he, know what's going on. But, okay, there's a representative there to, uh, to show him what the car is. And, he, you know... <laughs> He shows him how to turn on the car. This guy has never been in a car in his life. The thing he's only seen, he's only been riding on donkeys. Fine. So he goes ahead and, and he shows him how to turn the car on. But besides, he's never driven a car. He never drove a stick shift, a manual. So he teaches the guy how to get the car out of neutral, right? And to shift it into first gear. He doesn't have patience to teach him second gear, third gear, fourth gear. He puts it in first gear. He shows him how to put it in first gear. He gave him park it in first gear. And uh, that's what he showed him. 
This guy is having a blast. The fastest donkey in the town only goes about seven miles per hour. And it has no horsepower because it's a donkey. Get it? (laughs) Anyway, point is that he goes ahead and he's ripping through the town in his Lamborghini going like 20 miles an hour. Even going like 25 miles an hour and he's feeling the power. I told like when you see that line going to the red, like don't let it go into the red. It's not good for the car. Just before the red, just slow down a little bit. It's about 25, 30 something. He pushes it to 35 miles an hour in first gear. And he feels like he's living the life. My friends, how sad it is that this guy hasn't even touched what that car can do. He hasn't even touched it. He's just begun. He hasn't even, what can this car really do? Lamborghini Diablo, first gear? What are you doing? What about second gear, third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, maybe sixth gear, maybe get a seventh gear on this thing? I don't know. How sad it is that this guy has such a powerful machine and he only drives it in first gear. Okay. Now, some of you already can be fair where I'm going with this. Others maybe aren't thinking enough yet because it's too early in the morning for you at six something. Honestly, I have no idea what time it is because I'm in Israel right now. So this is pre recorded. That's a spoiled your evening. I apologize. But if you don't believe me, let me show you my watch. You'll see. See. See that? Maybe it's this way. 6.30. 5.30. Okay, whatever. The point is, is that how many of us are living our lives in first gear? We could have accomplished so many things in our lives by now. We could accomplish so many more in the future. How many of us are living our lives in first gear? We're not even, we're not even attempting to go to second gear. Maybe we don't even know there is a second gear. How sad it is that this person should lose out on such a tremendous opportunity. How sad it is that maybe we miss out on such a powerful machine that we have called our lives. We can accomplish so much. We can do so much. How much do we actually do? Now, I'll tell you, one of the big reasons why we don't go to second gear I don't want to say it's because we don't know there is a second gear. Many of us know a lot of things, but just because we know it doesn't mean we live with it. I think one of the reasons why we don't go to second gear is because we settle. We settle. We say, you know what? What I have is enough. Where I am is okay. What's fascinating is that nobody ever settles when it comes to cash money. Somebody says, hey, I'll pay $100 to come help me with something. Okay, cool. You know what? I'll pay you 200 No, no, it's okay. I'll settle for 100 <laughs> You give me 200 Yeah, no problem. What's the catch? No catch. I'm just like in a rush. Could you come 200 I don't know. 300 just come. You know what? I'll settle for $100. i will i will take 50 I'll do it for free. Nobody settles when it comes to money. What about in terms of what we're able to accomplish? What about our relationships? Do we go to each other and maximize our relationships with our, with our friends, with our family? What about, dare I go even deeper with relationships? Do we maximize our relationship with our religion, with Judaism, with God himself? Or do we settle? All too often, my friends, we settle. And if there's one message I want to get across, 
It's don't settle for mediocrity. Never settle for mediocrity. Why should you do such a thing? We get accomplished so much. Why settle? And the reason why it's so easy to settle is because we're so big into comparing that we just say, hey, as long as I'm a little bit better than that guy, even though I'm a little worse than that one, but I'm, on, I'm average. Is that your goal in life? Is your goal in life to be average? Or is your goal in life to be phenomenal? Is your goal in life to accomplish what you meant to accomplish over here? So my friends, here we are talking right now. As was mentioned at the beginning, that means the elevation of the soul. My dear friend, Rabbi Majeski, Rabbi Yisrael's father passed away. And when a person thinks about death, when you realize somebody passed away, it reminds us of life. When we think about death, it reminds us of a life. We go and we think back like, oh my goodness, what do I have? What am I, what am I doing with myself? What am I focusing on? I want to share with you something that's a little bit, a little bit intense. But uh, I think it's a powerful message. Problem is, I didn't prepare enough to be able to find what I'm looking for. And now I'm looking for it and stalling as I look for the thing that I didn't prepare to look for. Here we go. You know, it's one of those things where like, okay, maybe I'll back out now, whatever, I'll look after. Can't back out now, I'm already looking. All right, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you. There was a very, very wealthy man. This very wealthy man from Brazil. This is from Brazil. And unfortunately, he just passed away of Corona. And when he passed away, his uh, family put out a statement that said, my father and I, our family, had tons of money. We have lots of money. But my father, unfortunately, he passed away alone with none of that money, trying to take advantage of the very thing which we all have, which is free, called air. We have so many opportunities. When you think of death, you think of life. You think about what have I done? What have I accomplished? Where am I in my life? And by the way, I'm talking about pick an area. It doesn't matter. Pick an area. Where are you in terms of your of your work at the end of the day? Is that really what you want? Fine. Where are you in terms of your musical capabilities, in terms of your language learning skills, in terms of your relationships with others? How about your relationship with yourself? Ultimately, your relationship with God. Understand, my friends, what a chaval is we say in yeshivish terminology slang. What a sad, sad thing for a person to drive a Lamborghini in first gear. What a sad thing for a person to live their lives in first gear. Never settle for mediocre. Make sure that we are maximizing and we are taking advantage of every moment we have of this beautiful, beautiful air, this beautiful earth, beautiful opportunities that we have. And with that, no one will look back after many, many years at the end of their lives and say, Man, I wish I would have shift gear, shifted gears. You'll be more likely to, God willing, say, I'm so happy that I did shift gears. Don't ever settle.
All right. That was amazing. A message from uh, Rav Gav. Such a powerful uh, concept and idea uh, to make sure that we're taking advantage of every moment of life. And that, and that is a perfect introduction in, in understanding that uh, we are celebrating life tonight. And um, of course, with all, with all the rabbis speaking, I feel like I have to jump in at least for, even if it's two minutes, to, to, to add my uh, words, um, and of, of, I guess I can say of appreciation and, and understanding where, where this, the greatness of uh, this family comes from and, and the beauty. Uh, again, in, in loving memory, we should have a, as Neshama should have a Leah, Rav Dov Ber Ben Yaakov, uh, Rav Dov Ber Ben Yaakov Yehuda, sorry, Rav Ephraim Dov Ber Ben Yaakov Yehuda, his soul should have a, a uh, his soul should only have an amazing impact from tonight's uh, ideas, thoughts, and inspiration, Luan Neshama. One thing I can say that, uh, and I mentioned this to Rabbi Majeski, and really you see this with, with the entire Majeski family, which we've, we've gotten to introduce. I mean, if you can imagine coming to uh, a bar mitzvah, which we were, uh, Baruch Hashem, thank God we were a part of only, uh, it seems like such a short while ago, but I guess it was almost like six, six seven months ago, where the entire Majeski clan gets together. And of course, what you see there, and and the message you see, is is the is the love of life, and the absolute joy that that we have, um, and that they have, being together and sharing it and, and excitement, and of course the famous the famous I call it the, the bird. You can't really see me here. It's like the the flying majeski move, and of course who, who came up with that? That one and only. Um, I remember. Uh, Rabbi Majeski's father, when he first when I first got to meet him, he was doing this this uh, flying dance with uh, Rabbi Majeski at one of our uh, Sukkot events. There, one of the one of the first times. And what is one thing you, you could see is life exuding of of excitement and and just passion and wanting to share that simcha, the happiness in life. And there is no more greater happiness than, than living, learning, and raising yeah. his kids on a Torah lifestyle. That was, that was Ephraim Dovber. And that's what he was able to instill in his family. And now his son, Rabbi Yisrael Majeski, who comes, uh, we still hope we'll have much more in the future. The latest LAJ wasn't, wasn't able to experience him, but almost every other one was. And we hope he will come in the future to be able to exude that, that excitement, that passion, that warmth, the happiness, the simcha, the absolute love and zest in life that we all get when we're around him and 
without further ado, we have our very own special uh, dear close friend, and we should we should only say we should only share in happy occasions with the entire Majeski family. I know some of the uh, other uh, family had joined tonight, and we appreciate them joining. Thank you very much. And we should only share in happy occasions all together. And uh, without further ado, Rabbi Yisrael Majeski, thank you. Thank you so, so much, Rabbi Landa. Wow, what, a, what an amazing, amazing uh, event you put together here. Uh, thank you for contacting all these amazing speakers and Rabbanim. Uh, who joined, uh, really, really special, really, uh, my father, I'm touched. I was going through the names before of people who were on, not just, you know, not during speeches, in between speeches, of course, and so, so many uh, familiar faces uh, from San Francisco to New York to Florida to all of LEJ and so many other people, really a tremendous, tremendous, thank you for all the speakers, uh, Rav Gab, Rav Ari, Rabbi Wallerstein, um, entire LEJ community, Rabbi Landa, what you do and what Rabbi Avrami does, uh, priceless, just priceless, all the souls uh, that you touched and you let me experience um, along the way. So the other day I was driving with my family, we're driving down Chandler right here in the valley, and my son says, Tati, Tati, look, look, look out the window, look what's there. I stop the car. I say, Aaron, what? He says, look, I see a real friend. There's a friend. I see him live. I see him. Look, he's there. And he sees his friend, Akiva. The first time that uh, he didn't see him through a video camera in a couple of weeks. And the truth is, I feel like my life is, uh, is one big Zoom these days. And I decided I sleep with Zoom on me while I sleep. You can come join my Zoom sleeping every night. I figure the whole world knows every other part of my life. I have five kids in school the whole day. Uh, everywhere I walk, there's another Zoom class. And, uh, you know, but the truth is, Baruch Hashem, with Zoom, we're able to reach many people and get speakers from throughout the world uh, during one place, like we did tonight, these amazing speakers, and they let me join the list. It's a really, really tremendous. So thank you for everyone for coming out. Uh, I would like to ask three questions. Three questions and perhaps give one answer. It has to do with the time period that we're in. And of course, about my, my great father, Olva Shalom. I'd also like to say thank you to all my family members uh, who are on. My mother, I believe she's, uh, she's still on over there. Uh, my brothers, my, my cousins, everyone who's able to join tonight. Uh, to talk about my father is a, is a humbling experience. You know, I thought I knew him. I really thought I knew him well, but uh, oh boy, did I realize that I didn't. So I'd like to ask three questions and come up with one answer and get an understanding of how my father lived and perhaps what we could, what we could take in our own lives. So question number one is that, you know, we are counting now Svirus Omer. Tonight is the, I'm not going to say it because I didn't count Svira yet, but we are counting towards Shavuos, which means weeks, the weeks we're counting up towards Kabbalah Satorah, the, the receiving of the Torah, the great day that we became a nation that God gave us his mission for the world. 
And Rev. Dessler asked the question, great, great Jewish philosopher. He says, you know, the end of the story after we got the Torah, the Luchos, the tablets on Shavuos, wasn't so great. The end of the story was that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up after we got the Ten Commandments. And guess what happens? He comes down and he breaks them. The whole party was thrashed because we built an idol. We built a cow, an idol, the golden calf. And those tablets which we received got smashed. And guess what? Way, way later, all the way on Yom Kippur, the 10th of Tishrei, was when Moshe Rabbeinu finally comes down. He has the new tablets in hand. And God finally says, Vayomer Hashem salachni kivarecha, you're forgiven for that sin. So Asher of Desler, what are we celebrating the receiving of the Torah that we're about to have in a few weeks, which we never really got because they got smashed? Why don't we celebrate the new Torah, the Luchos, which we got on Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, that time period should be the day that we're all happy for receiving the Torah. That's question number one. Question number two, we know that the broken tablets, the luchos, weren't thrown away. It wasn't like, okay, you know, the, the, where's the trash bin? Those broken tablets, the shivrei haluchos, was put where? Inside the Aron. Inside the Holy Ark. In the Mishkan. They, were, they stayed with us. And again, Rav Dessler wants to know what is the point of having these broken luchos, these broken tablets. They're already smashed. And the third question I would like to ask is a question that I think we all have when we go through the Torah. And if you haven't asked it outwardly, I'm sure you've all asked it inwardly, is what in the world happened? How do the Jews go from leaving Egypt, seeing God's hand, Crossing the sea, the splitting of the sea, Kriyas Yamsuf. Everything they see clearly what life is about. The oral law tells us that what even the plain servants saw at the sea was, was greater than the greatest of prophets. What the maid servant saw at the sea was, was on the level of Yechesko Ben Buzi, the great prophet Yechesko. And yet, what happens a few days later? What happens less than two months after we left? We sin with the golden calf. How is that possible? How do we go from here, the highest level, we fall? Imagine, you know, I have students a lot of times would say, come on, if I would see the sea split, I would never do a sin for the rest of my life. If I would see God, if I would hear God talk, well, we all the Jews heard God talk at Mount Sinai. And yet, we still managed to sin. How did they mess up? And here lies an unbelievable concept, an unbelievable insight to the psyche of, of the human being. And that is as follows. A person can be full of inspiration. A person can be full of excitement. A person can see things that at the moment make him say, I want to change my life forever. Or 
I want to be like that person. I want to live a life the way that person lived. And you could really, really mean it. And you're so inspired. And guess what happens? Nothing. Maybe a few days, a few weeks, a few months. But at the end of the day, that inspiration goes away like a little fleeting shadow. And we're left with a good talk that we have on our phone or some pictures that we took while we were in Israel. But we were so inspired. And at that moment, we could look back and say, wow, I said things to myself, how I was going to change. And I had clarity and I saw the reality of life. But what happens? And says Rev Dessler, that inspiration in life is a gift. It's a gift from God that he gives all of us throughout our life, moments of inspiration. He gives us those moments of, of, of crossing the sea. It could be a talk. It could be a song. It could be an encounter. It could be a trip. It could be a Shabbos. It could be a weekend. You fill in the blank of when you are inspired. It could be a funeral. And that's a gift. And then what happens is God says, now it's time to get cracking lacking. Now you want this to last. You got to put in the work. You really want to be someone who reaches that level. I can give you the inspiration. But now you have to go ahead and work through it. The rabbis compare inspiration to a field that's plowed. It's very exciting. Things are happening. Dirt's coming up and down. And you look at the field. You say, wow, we're ready. Okay. Now start planting. Now start watering. Now start reaping. Now's when you have to put in the work. You see, the, the first tablets, the luchos that we got, they were given after inspiration. We just left Egypt and we were all inspired. But we were able to sin and we fell so, so fast because it wasn't really us. We didn't work for it yet. And that's when we were able to fall. But you know why we celebrate the first giving of the Torah, even though we messed up? You know why? The reason why we celebrate the first giving of the Torah is because that inspiration is still there. The inspiration doesn't go away. We always have to be able to look back at the inspiration. I still have a, a picture of my wedding day on my dresser. I'm inspired by, wow, how did I fit into that suit? <laughs> That's inspiring. We're supposed to be inspired while that excitement of that first day of marriage. Am I still excited every time I walk into the house to be married? Like I was going to my wedding. Yes, that inspiration was there. And that's the reminder. That's the picture. That's always in the arrow. That's always in the art. Because we always have to have that. And guess what? God is always waving that inspiration for you. And he's going to help you. The inspiration reminds us that you're able to reach such heights. That it's possible. That this isn't, this isn't beyond your, your, your comprehension. You could really reach such goals that you said and you wanted. And it was real. It wasn't fake. But it was a gift. Now you got to work for it. Svirasa Omer, the counting of the Omer, is all about growth. 
It's all about telling us, God's telling us, you really want to get to the Torah. You really want to become someone in life. Are you willing to work for it? There are a lot of ideas that we know of, my friends. A lot of ideas. I used to have a rabbi who would tell me, if I wake you up in the middle of the night and say, you believe in God? Say, yes, yes, yes. You believe in Mashiach? Yes, yes. We all believe he can wake us up in our sleep. We'll say yes. But do we live with that reality? Is that part of our, 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 our fiber, every fiber in our bodies, that the way we conduct our day, do we live with what we know or believe? Or sometimes we have thoughts and ideas and that's almost part of our inspiration. Yes, we know it, but, but is, it, is it one with us? That's the question. The Ramchal, where Moshe Chaim Luzato says in his amazing book, must buy, bestseller. Mesilas Yisharim, the pathways of the just. Right in the beginning, he starts off with these four words. That your philosophies, your ideals, your beliefs have to not just be clear, but they have to be true next to you. They have to be real and true. The great Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said the two furthest places in the world is not the North and South Pole. The two furthest places in the world are between your head and your heart. Because there are many things which we know up in here, up in here. But it's not in a heart. It's not part of our emotion. It's, we're not one with it yet. And that's why the puzzle tells us, you should know it today. Yes, knowledge is great. Knowledge is power. You've got to return that into your heart. And how does that happen? That happens through work. That happens with constant growth. That happens with learning. That happens with action. That happens with thinking. That happens with questions. That happens with connections. This is what life is all about. Life is not about just, just plowing the field and saying, I'm inspired. It's about the planting. Corona is a very inspirational time. I've seen videos and WhatsApp and messages full of inspiration. How we learn what the world is about. It's not about materialism. And our true heroes are the nurses and the truck drivers. And I'm not saying it in this tone of voice because it isn't so true. I'm saying it in this tone of voice because let's see how we are in two years from now. Let's see who's going to be honored by the Oscars in two years from now. Our nurses, our rabbis who are giving lectures around the clock in their house. Or are we going to go right back to society of what everyone else says is so important? And deep down, we know, we know the value of our teachers and the value of people who we should be giving all the honor and glory to. But the question is, how are we going to make that remain with us? My father, I love Hashalom, he should rest in peace. We heard so many amazing things about him tonight already. He was such an amazing person. He was so involved in life. He loved life. Every person that he met was, was so special to him, was so dear to him. He made sure to smile and talk to everyone, the mailman, the toll booth person. Someone sitting next to him in shul. 
He was living with such a sense of clarity. And yes, like Robert Wallerstein said earlier in the evening, things weren't always easy. He had more than one job at one point in his life. He was working three different jobs. Money wasn't always easy. His own struggles weren't always easy. He wasn't being honored by these big fancy LEJ dinners. He was, he was going through the grind. But we never heard him complain. He was living life. He was working on himself constantly. Up until the last moments of his life, he was working on himself. I spoke to his driver who was taking him to treatments at the end of his life. At the end of his life of stage four cancer. After a brain surgery. I asked his driver, what was he talking about? He said, first of all, he's my rabbi. And he had an accident. He's my rabbi. I said, where are you from? Are you uh, from India? How is he a rabbi? Are you an Indian Jew? He says, I am Muslim. I said, really? Are you a Muslim Jew? He's like, no, you Meshuggah. <laughs> I'm sorry. He said, I'm Muslim, but he was my rabbi. I respected your father so much. I said, what did he talk to you about on the way to the hospital for treatment? He said, your father. First of all, he spoke about my life. He wanted to know all about me and my parents and my brothers. He said, I never had someone so interested in my life. He was so curious about my life. And your mother, she was so nice to me. Every time I would go to the house, she would come out and talk to me. I still keep in touch with her. And he said, but your father. He says, every time he was learning, he was learning, he was learning your Torah. And I would ask him about it. And he would tell me. He was always listening to lectures and speaking and thinking. Up until the last moments, when things weren't easy, he was always growing. I was driving my father once up to camp. This goes back, poof, must be 25 years ago. I was, a little, I was probably eight, nine years old, more 30 years ago. I was eight, nine years old, and there was traffic. And this was pre-ways. You know, I, I, I don't know. I understand how we lived before airplanes. I understand how we, you know, we managed. We managed before refrigerators. We managed before cars. How did we manage before ways? Without ways, I am forget about it. And this was pre-ways days, and we were stuck in traffic. And my father went off the highway. And we're driving like a half hour, and he's lost. He's pulling out maps and the good old days going to gas stations and asking directions. I remember I was very nervous. I, I didn't like being lost. I said, Tati, I said, why didn't you go off the highway? We knew where we were going. <laughs> I have to go off and get lost. I'll never forget what he said. He said, Yisrael, listen to this line. Write this one down. He says, Yisrael, I'd rather be lost and moving than knowing where I'm going and stuck in traffic. I'd rather be lost and moving than knowing where I'm going and stuck in traffic. My father didn't like sitting in traffic. But I think he was really telling me something about life. A lot of times people know where they're going, but they're stuck. They're stuck in traffic. They're not really moving. They're not going anywhere. They're static. They're blah. And they're really living a life that's, that's, that's not life. That's dead. And then you have people who might be a little bit lost. But you know what? They're moving. They're on a journey. They're growing. They're still questioning. They still want to grow. They're planting. Every day is a new day. Every moment's a new moment. They're alive. 
And one of the biggest things my father taught us, you have to do this all with happiness, all with simcha. You have to have so much joy. My father was always happy. And you know, Rav Hirsch says that the word sameach in Hebrew comes from the word sin. If you say the Hebrew letters, when they come from the same place, it's teaching you something. And he says, you know what else comes from the word tzaddik, the letter tzaddik, which is sameach. Sameach and sameach. One means happiness and one means growth. Says Rev Hirsch that sameach and sameach are one and the same. The truly happy person is the one who's growing. The growing person is the one who's really, really understands what life's about. That's the truly happy person. A woman called me today. She was telling me about her problems. She has a kid who's not talking to her, living in her house. She has a big house. We see a kid living in her house, and he didn't talk to her for six weeks. She has another kid who's away and doesn't call. And she's crying, and she tells me the word. She goes, I don't know. I don't know what's the point of me living. What's my life about? And she starts telling me about all her problems that she had to go through and during her lifetime. And I stop her in the middle. I say, wait, 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 wait. I said, you don't know what your life is worth? Do you, are you listening to yourself? Are you listening to what you're telling me about your journey? You have a son living in your house who's not talking to you? You had all these problems in your life and your husband who left and all these things, and you're here to say this story? And you tell me that you're praying every day to Hashem? Do you understand who you are, your greatness? Please give me a blessing. I want it from her. You're, you're, you're growing. Yes, sometimes, sometimes things can be tough. That doesn't mean we can't be happy at the same time. Happiness during the journey. If we understand that there's a, that there's a, a journey and a goal and an end point and a finish line. And you're right, life, you look at life like it's all about the here and the now. You can get very sad. Because your journey is, 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 this is not the journey, this is your destination. And if this is your destination, then it's not going well, so you got to move destinations. But you understand that life is about getting from point A all the way to point Z. And growing every single day. So it's another bump in the road. In the road. I saw a great quote. It says, you can choose to go backwards towards your safety or forwards towards your growth. You know, we feel safe when we take a step back or in our, we're in our comfort zone. Yeah, you can take a step backwards. But you want to live life, you got to grow. But Kiva Tatz says, I heard this many of times, he says, you know, imagine an alien comes down from outer space. You don't have to imagine to our now, just look at any sci-fi. So you're giving them a tour around Los Angeles and you take him to Six Flags, you take him to Universal Studios, you take him to, to the Staples Center. This is obviously pre-corona when these things existed. And you're giving them a tour and everyone's having fun. And you say, I want to show you a special place. And you bring him to Equinox, Loa Lenu. <laughs> and you say, look through, look through the door. And he sees people are sweating. And he sees people screaming in pain. Ah! 
and he sees there's people over them say, let's go, you can do it. You got to do this. They're putting the heavy, heavy metal weights and they're screaming. And the alien looks at you and he says, what in the world is going on in this torture center over here? This is not normal. And you look at the alien and you say, are you kidding me? Would you believe me if I tell you that people are paying for this? What? People are paying for this torture? Yeah, they're paying more for this membership than they are for that Lakers game. They're only going to go once and never come back again. But people want this. Why? Because their pain is their growth. When they're struggling, they know that they're, and they're headed in the right direction, that they're building their muscle, that they're losing their weight, that the calories are coming off. That, that, is, that is the understanding. They, it's not a contradiction. To, to, you know, we came so used to always wanting to feel pleasure. And we have to have this, you know, always be in this place of, of just, you know, ah, oh, kumbaya, and things are just great. And we sometimes could so miss the boat that the real greatness and the real happiness is by putting in the work. Because we all had times of inspiration in our lives. As someone told me after my father's funeral, many people told me this actually. Said, what are they going to say by me by my funeral? What are my kids going to say about me? I want my kids to talk about me the way you did about your father. Well, guess what? That means we got to be willing to put into work to live like my father. From between life and death, my mother. To be willing to understand that your work and your job is not number one on your list. And that other people come before yourself. And that you're here on a mission. Then people talk about you like that. Then you can go ahead and say you live that life. So, as we come to an end of this evening, I want to share with you one more idea. A little story. A Gemara, and with this I'll end. You know, an average person works over 90,000 hours in their lifetime. It's a lot, a lot of time that we work. And we spend a lot of our, there are numbers, but I didn't get all of them. A lot of our lifetime sleeping and eating. And, and we spend a lot of our lifetime doing a lot of things. I saw an ad once, a third of your life will be spent on a, looking at a screen, make sure you get a good one. It was an advertisement for Intel. For Dell, I'm sorry. We're going to be spending a lot of time of our life doing other things. How much time of our life are we going to be spending on ourselves? Because as the saying goes, if we don't really grow, we're not really living. One of the ways that you want to see if a, if, a, if a tree is alive or not, you have to see, is it growing? Is it still moving? Are we moving in the right direction? So a couple of years ago, I came home and it was my birthday. And guess what? I forgot it was my birthday. But thank God for my wife. She remembers my birthday. She tells me how old I am every year. And I walk inside my house and they have balloons and my kids are like, happy birthday. I come into the kitchen and my wife says, what do you think of your birthday present? I'm looking around the kitchen. I say, uh, 
He got me a new kitchen. She's like, no, come on, really, look around. I'm like, a new fridge? I didn't know. I don't know what was here yesterday, what's here today. She says, come on, look well, you'll find it. Looking up and down, this is the worst game to play with me. I'm getting all nervous. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. And finally, I look at the counter, and I see there's a beautiful mug. And my wife made on this mug pictures of us since we were married and my kids throughout the years, like 30 pictures, a beautiful collage. Every day I'll be able to have a coffee with the mug. And I pick up the mug. I say, wow, thank you. This is the best present ever. You're the best wife ever. And I really loved it. And she is cracking up and my kids are cracking up and they're all laughing. I said, what's so funny? And my wife could barely talk. And finally she says, uh, yeah, I got you the mug last year for your birthday. This year, I got you the coffee maker. <laughs> the mug was on a coffee maker. I said, first of all, you, you see they can give you the same present every year. I'll be just as happy. I forgot. I forgot the present that you got me last year. There are certain things that we could forget in life. Never forget your anniversary. But there are certain things that we could forget in life. And then there are things, my friends, that we can never forget in life. And the main thing that we can never forget in life is that we're here for a reason. We're here to grow. And as Jews, we're here for a higher reason. We're here to light up the world. We're here to accomplish. We're here to go ahead and live a life that's worth living. A life that was intended for us. You know, before we come down to this world, the Talmud says, in the beginning of Tanya, he brings this down, that, the, that, that God looks at the soul and says, swear to me, make a shvua. Swear to me that you will be a tzaddik and you won't be a rasha, that you'll live life with clarity. And every single one of us swore. And with that, we were sent down into this journey of life. But how many times through life do we forget do we get so occupied in the 90,000 hours of work and everything else? I am so part of that world, Majeski included, that we forget. And comes along a corona. And the corona says, time out, pause. Whoever remembers the show, Out of This World, time stop. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What are people going to say about you? How are you going to be able to look God in the face and say, this is the life I lived? With all the inspiration I got, how much, Majeski, did you forget? How many times did you say you're going to be the best friend to everyone? How many times did you say you're going to go ahead and visit people and collect charity for people and learn more Torah? And you really wanted to do it. Now the question is, did you do it? Did you have a plan? And it makes no difference how many times you failed before. That's the beauty. The beauty of life, my father would always talk about this, is just get up and start again. And he became this great person at the end of his life, this superhuman being who always had a smile and would call up every one of his kids and grandkids all the time and all of his siblings. And he was always davening and praying and giving charity and smiling and having a good time and eating good food. And he loved life because he understood what life was about in a world that's so confused, in a world that's, that's searching, that's constantly searching for things which they don't have. 
We, we have it. We have all the answers. We have the guidebook. We have the Torah. We have the Rabbi Landers in our life. The Rabbi Shushans, the Rab Gavs, the Rabbi Wallersteins. We have the my people like my father. Now the question is for us. Are we going to count towards that goal? You know, there are 20-year-olds who are living like 80-year-olds. And then there are 80-year-olds who are living like 20-year-olds. Someone asked me how old my father was. I said he was 74 years young. So with this, I will end. With this, I will end. We have Lagba Omer coming up next week. And the great Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, the Holy Tana, was stuck in a cave for 12 years. He had to hide from the Romans. And he only had one pair of clothing. And every night he would go ahead and he would bury himself in the sand. And him and his son, Rabbi Lazar, would study Torah. And finally, when word got out, he was able to go ahead and leave the cave. He comes out and he meets his son-in-law, whose name was Rabbi Pinchos ben Yair. I want to read to you what the Gemara says in Masech the Shabbos. The Talmud says that Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair goes out to meet his father, Rabbi Shimon, after so many years. And he brings him to a bathhouse. He was stuck. He was sitting in sand for so many years. And he says, the Gemara says, the Talmud says, he brings him to this bathhouse. And over there, Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair puts some water on him and he starts to massage his flesh. He starts to massage his, his body a little bit. It was so hard. It was so cracked up from all the years. And he sees, he sees there were cracks in his body. His, his, his body became deteriorated. The And he starts to cry. His son-in-law starts to cry. And one of the tears go down his cheeks and it goes and the tears fall onto Rav Shimba Yochai's father when he gives a scream because the, the bitter tears. You know, they hurt him. You ever go to Yama Melech with a crack? It hurts. Omar Lay. He says to his father-in-law, Woe unto me that I see you in such pain. Oh my gosh. And my eyes can't, can't bear this. And Omar Lay, Rav Shimon says back to him, How lucky you are that you see me through this. Because if you wouldn't see me like this, I would not be the same person who I am today. And the Gemara goes on as he describes his greatness of how much he was able to accomplish during his years in the cave. How much greater he became in Torah learning and as a person. But Pinchas ben Yar says, oh my gosh, look, it looks like you're in pain. And Rabbi Shimon says, no, you fool. My son-in-law, don't you realize that these cracks, I wouldn't train them for anything in the world. This is my badge of honor. This was my journey. Yes, we all want the sweetest life and the happiest life, and God should give it to all of us. But we have to understand that all that we have is so much blessing in the world that God has given us. And we realize how much more we have to appreciate when we get back. The simple things of life like a park and kids going to school. God bless all the teachers. 
But we have to realize that the greatest gift we have is the growth, is the journey, is, is working on ourselves, on our midos, on our attributes, on our Torah learning. And then we'll be able to go ahead and say, what a life. What a life, what a journey we had. Thank you, Hashem, for the journey. And all with Simcha, all with happiness. And my father, up until the last days, he had that clarity. He had that clarity of Don't run after honor. Don't run after wealth. Don't run after money. Because it's not going with you. You're going in, to, you're going out of this world the way you came in, but not that much on. The only thing you take with you is only what you accomplished. The only thing you take with you is only what you gave away. It's what, it's what you became. It's the challenges that you, that you overcome. It's the, it's the growth which you had in your life. And I'm so lucky to be part of this organization, LEJ, which is all full of people growing. And my bracha, my blessing to us all is to let's, let's take the message of Svira. Let's take the message that my father gave to me and really left us all. That message of living a life of happiness, of true happiness, is living a life of growing and accomplishing and connecting to Hashem. There's no greater life in the world. I'm telling you. And deep down, deep down, we all know it. And deep down, we all experienced it in those flashes of inspiration. The pictures are there. Go back on the videos. Look back at your Yom Kippurs. Look back at times in your life where you had that moment. Look at the picture. Now say, how do I get back there? How do I get back to that, to, to that, to, to living that life of clarity every single day? So my father is the Shammah Shev, the highest Aliyah. And go closer into Hashem and Dalim for all of us. Because like you heard before, he left. He left an amazing family and legacy. My brothers, each one. I'm so, I'm so happy that they let me be part of the family. Because, you know, it could be they tried kicking me out a few times. But I kept on coming back. My brothers, Maish, Yaakov, Maish, Achanan, Sachi. Each one, their own journey, their own way of how much they're accomplishing and growing. And that all comes from my father and what my mother put, put into their children. It was, it was teaching them what life's about. So God willing, this should be a, he should be a Melitz Yosher. He should pray for all of us, for all the Jewish people, for all the world to have safety. And that we should be able to go ahead and come out of this much better people than we were before. And really understanding what life's about. We should all be Zoha and merit to accept the Torah and to greet Mashiach Sikenu in our lives. Thank you. Thank you again for arranging this. Okay, back to you. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Majeski, for those beautiful words of inspiration. Again, your 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 whole family. We should only share in in happy occasions in the future, all together. And you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.